0: Hello listeners, and welcome to another episode of Over the Line, a maintenance disrupted podcast. And I'm your host, Steve Doby. Today, I welcome two special guests. I've got Lucas Marino and Rob Kalroski, and we discuss training. Recently, we had a meme take off, and it was it was about the small portion of budget that training gets. So I wanted to jump on this topic right away and talk to our listeners and followers about training. How do we get it? Where do we get it? how much is it worth what value does it bring to the company when times are tough how do we make sure it doesn't fall out of the budget and if it does fall out of the budget where are some lower cost or free resources that we can that we can get to get us to the next budget cycle all these questions get answered in this episode Rob and lucas have great knowledge in this area and have dedicated themselves to providing this information to you guys. Lucas, through his organization, East Partnership, and then Rob, through this podcast, which he initially created, and that Blair and I are continuing on. So, big thank you to these two gentlemen. And before we get to our show, a quick message from our sponsor, Star West Petroleum. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, StarWest Petroleum. Having personally worked with StarWest in a previous job, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our cost and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Philips 66 Lubricants, Kendall Performance Motor Oils, Phillips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel heating and furnace oil, but really it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment now. Here's your episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. Uh, I've got Lucas Marino and Rob Kalrowski here. And today we're going to be talking about training. Training in terms of how we can get training over the line and into a place where we can actually attend the training, it doesn't get cut from our budgets, and we can we can really benefit and educate our our crews and workforce. Uh, a meme went out recently, depending on when you listen to this, recent is relative, um, <laughs> and we got we got a response from it that was pretty incredible. Um, and so it, it seems like this is a topic that we all really care about, we're passionate about, and. So I wanted to bring guests on right away to, to tackle that topic. Um, so welcome, Lucas. Welcome, Rob. Um, Lucas, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Um, sure. Yeah, so uh, big fan of Rob and big fan of you and the, and the podcast. I, I think I came <laughs> on here with Rob oh, it was about two years ago now, Rob. Yeah, and we've done how many? We would have four or five together, I think. Yeah, a couple. I think I was just, um, I was fresh out of the service at that point. Um, and um, so I work, I, I currently work as the, um, as a senior life cycle engineer for uh, a nuclear submarine program with the U.S. Navy. And I also um, am a founder and owner of the East Partnership, which is an online training company for people that maintain and manage the world's most complex assets
0: yay <laughs> that's my big pitch awesome well great to have you on again Lucas and <laughs> I think most of our listeners are probably aware of Rob uh, but why don't you give yourself a, an introduction
2: yeah so so I don't maintain the world's most complex assets but uh, just simple valves that's all I, that's all I do but yeah I'm Rob Kalvarovski so my day job I work as an asset manager for um, a large pipeline company. And then I also am the host. Well, I used to be the host of this show, but now I'm the host of dismantling the high performance narrative podcast and soon to be released the leadership launchpad project podcast. So those are two of the the new things, the new direction I'm going with, um, both, you know, my passion project around mental health. And then what I think is a huge gap in our industry with people centric leadership. So, that's where I'm going. So if you want more, go to robsreliability.com and check out all the stuff there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I, I'm going to disagree with you, Rob, you have transitioned to helping maintain the world's most important assets. We talk about um, so many companies say humans are the most important aspect. Employees are our most important asset. And we, we had you on the show a couple of weeks ago and we talked about just that. And that's where you've shifted. I think is helping us maintain people better, helping us treat them like assets and and putting the person first, which is something that our industry has been missing for forever. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. Um, it, it's It generates conversation in, in all the circles that I've been. I hear about it where I'm working now, so well done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, so this meme, It's probably easier to see it. So you guys can go to our our LinkedIn page and it'll be on there. I'll be posting it when this podcast gets released. But essentially we've got a big guy in a suit and he's drinking from a very large hose uh, that we're calling a company's budget and the big man in the suit we're calling uh, reactive maintenance. And then there is a trickle from a a leaking from this big pipe leaking um, going into a very frail looking uh, individual's, mouth and it looks like he's not quite getting enough enough from it and we're calling that reliability trading so um it doesn't quite do it justice but (laughs) most our listeners are 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 listening and not looking at anything so (laughs) (laughs) we're (laughs) a visual medium now (laughs) here we go um so i just want to talk about that for just a minute like that's inevitably that's going to happen where your company's budget is going to be huge like Um, you know, mining companies were billion dollar maintenance budgets, but the training budgets are always so small. Why do you think that is? And and do you think that's necessarily a problem?
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, the first thing I I just want to mention, right. Is like that meme, like first is I didn't think it would hit the way it hit. Um, But the second thing is like, it just shows you like the, the explosion of that meme really shows you where people are at in our industry. And I think 2020 and 2021 just sort of reinforced where we're at. We're not seeing the reliability success that we work really hard for. And a lot of our people are not trained in what they're needing to do. And like, we talk about people-centric leadership but you do actually like, if you want to empower your people, yeah. Like you have to treat them like people, you have to give them, you know, like the psychological safety aspects and like all this stuff, but you also have to give them the tools, the skills, the authority and like the processes to actually execute their job. Right. And training is part of that. And like where that meme came out for me was like, like I've had a lot of conversations with people recently and they said like we have no training budget anymore, but damn, if that if that piece of equipment fails, we're gonna fix it, right? And I think like, you know, like it's it's incredible that you can't get fifteen hundred bucks to send someone to a training course, but you can spend millions on, you know, a broken whatever for the third time because you couldn't fix it the fir- right the first time, right?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, um, I I think that, uh, you yeah, know. When I was an instructor I had a different opinion about training than when I was the chief engineer and then when I was the person managing a training center um, you know my passion just got stronger and stronger for it because I saw the value of it I just think a lot of people miss on the return on investment right they don't look at the cost of training as part of the cost of ownership it is a part of the cost of ownership and one of the things I like about the the that the that field of integrated logistics or logistics engineering kind of presents is they present training as one of the logistics elements you have to plan when you acquire or design the asset, right? It's a part of its life cycle. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally embedded from the beginning. So if you, you know, when you look at uh, people would come to the to the training center the military had, and they'd say, "Wow, you guys do such a good job investing in training." And I'd say, "Well, that's because we realize how much money this saves us, right? Because we've done the math, and we know that if we can do the work ourselves and we can do it right, we'll get more operational availability out of the assets, and we won't be so dependent on third party contractors, uh, OEM, other people uh, to do the work for us." So the return on investment is something we actually. Seek in the beginning, right? When we first acquire the asset. And it's something that we seek to try and extract from the asset throughout its life cycle. And if you build that kind of mentality about training, it doesn't become a second piece or an afterthought. It becomes part of the life cycle cost of the asset. And, you know, hopefully that helps you score a little bit of that budget we were talking about the beginning.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I know anytime something like I, Again, I'm in the mining industry. I'm subject to commodity price shifts, a um, little bit harder than you know a lot of other industries we see, and that is always the first thing to go. Every mining company I have seen, the first thing they cut as soon as the the price of whatever they're pulling out of the ground it uh, goes down, we lose training, and it, it's such such a loss because you arguably have more time for it, since you, you're not focusing on production quite as much. But um, now, I guess, how do you put a value to it? Like, it, how do you put it into that lifecycle plan? And say, give a concrete, look, if we spend $1,500 sending this person to Rob's training, what are we gonna, what value are we going to get out of it?
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's going to be course dependent. Right. And like, yeah, of course that's part of the game. But I I think like, like where I'm going with the leadership aspect and it was one of the comments actually on the, on the meme, someone, someone commented and said like, how do you justify leadership training? Like, what does it actually give you as an output? And it's like, well, it's not like a direct output in, in a sense that like, you know, you're learning how to, Uh, you know, do precision maintenance installs of motors or something like that, like precision alignment. Like it's not going to be something direct like that, but it does change your engagement, which, you know, if you look at the Gallup poll, we talked about a few weeks ago, like it leads to all this, all this, you know, profitability, productivity, all these things that you can measure. And for me, like, that's the one thing I think is a huge gap in how we offer training and how we look at training is we don't actually follow through with what measurable impact did we make and what's the money or what's the roi of that
1: yeah it gets really hard with something like leadership right because uh, the measurement's more difficult um and if you if you look at the way we we try to estimate that stuff in the, in the logistics engineering profession you're, you're basically looking at bca type options right like a business case analysis where you say I need this technical capability, I don't have it, so I have to either train my staff to develop that, that knowledge right, and, and develop those skills uh, or I have to pay someone else to do the work. And so you can start looking at the cost of training versus uh, the you know organic training, your own training versus the cost of having someone else do the work And there's a third option there is you bring someone in from outside to give your staff the training so they can develop that skill set. So, you know, within the training piece, you have to determine whether it's worth it to invest in your own training development or bring an outside trainer in to to provide your people with those skills. But ultimately, to me, it's all about trying to make your staff better, right? You're trying to give them something they didn't have before the training. So in Rob's case, you're trying to build better leaders, right? you're, you're, You're interested in the training because you don't think the leadership is sufficient enough or... It has so much room for improvement that it's worth the investment to get someone in there and, and get the training right. Um, on the technical side, you can you can measure it in capability, right? If we don't have the capability to get that mining equipment back within a certain amount of time because we haven't trained our people, um, then shame on us because we didn't look at the lifecycle costs and the implications of not having that skill and knowledge on site uh, early enough. Now. The, the trap there that I think you, you led into in the beginning was it, almost like it implies we had training and then we cut the budget, right? We try to survive a little while without it. And that's a dangerous game because basically what we're doing is we're shifting the burden onto the people with the knowledge and skill set within the organization. And we're hoping that they transfer that knowledge to other people and you aren't entrusting uh, people that are, that are made to be trainers. Uh, and not all on-the-job training is created equal, right? So I got tons of on-the-job training when I was a diesel mechanic, but nothing uh, compared to the the school I went to overseas that taught me how to, to really tear this one specialized piece of equipment down and build it up at an expert level. Two completely different environments, right? And who's to say the guy who was teaching me on the job was teaching me the right way? Because I spent years in my career trying to unteach the bad things that other people had handed down without any level of accountability, right? So, you know, as leaders, we got to kind of be careful what we ask our people to do. Um, and, And to me, it's, it almost shows like, it shows your employees whether they're worth investing in as well. You know, one of the unspoken side effects of not investing in training is the perception that you're, 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 your, your folks will develop about whether you're willing to invest in them or not. And it kind of sends a clear message that their professional or personal development takes a second seat um, to other things.
0: Yeah, I, what, had, what, I had that exact conversation at one of my previous jobs where, you know, I was like, we got to get these guys training. They, they never get any training or anything like that. Like I can build a training course and give it to them, but they need external training. And the comment I got from one of the managers is, well, if we train them, then they're going to leave because now they're qualified for somewhere else. And I'm like, well, we're starting right on the wrong foot there because they're going to leave because you don't want to train them. And if you don't want to train them, then why would, I sit, why would you stay with that company? Right. Um, and you don't, you don't often see it that blatant, but that mentality is still very much out there.
2: And that's one thing I just like, I I think I want to challenge people with and it's hard, right? And And I think like, I think the first thing is I want to challenge people to think about where they want to go with their own career, right? And I think right now in our industry, what is the norm is that our company will tell us which training courses to take. They will pay for which training courses that they want me to take and I'm on their path. Right. And I think like the biggest shift in my brain over this last year has really been that you can take accountability and authority and leadership in your own life and pay for what you want to take and what you want to become. Right. And I think I saw that in in my first leadership group that we ran was the people who showed up three out of the four of them paid out of their own pocket. And They said, like, our company is not going to fund my being here, but I value this at a point where I want to step out and do it. And, like, you can do that. You can see that opportunity. And even one of them, like, one of them, their company, like, they're asking a guy to run the vibration program at that site without having the, like, level three vibration or whatever and they're not willing to pay the 1500 bucks to send the guy to that training and it's like that shows you the leadership in that organization and what they value what they value is the now and i think what lucas mentioned about just like what's the underlying assumption when you defer i don't think our our managers really get that deep now. Like what you see Steve and what I saw this year was like CapEx gets deferred, all consultants get cut, like contractors get cut, training gets cut. Right. And it's like, what's the underlying assumption is that like all that stuff is unnecessary, but is it like, I get it doesn't affect us right in this very moment where our dividend or stock price or profitability does right now but like, what about next year? Cause like where, where I'm like, where I'm working is like CapEx got cut, but next year, it's not like it's more next year because of the cut stuff moved. It's like, it's gone forever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, you know, I see that with even like equipment replacement, you know, component exchanges is uh, we're just going to push it. It's December. We don't want it in this year budget. We're going to get it. I'm like, we're still paying for it. So, so Steve, what's the damages due to the equipment <laughs> once you get to January, right?
2: So I was in a job interview with a guy out of um, a gold mine in Nevada, and he said to me, "Where?" And he was Australian guy, and he said, "Where I come from, which was like BHP or Rio Tinto or something," he said, "Like we don't count it as a valuable." like reliability initiative until we can move the expenditure from one fiscal year to the next and i just was like i literally was just like well then we're done here because like, <laughs> what's the point of reliability then because like literally that's saying like december 31st at 11 59 p.m if we can extend this for for one and a half minutes into, into the new year, we've made a huge reliability improvement. However, if we were January 1st and we extended it 364 days to January to December 30th of the next year or the same year, we didn't do a damn thing. And it's just like, how does this logic even exist in our industry? Like these people have no idea what they're even thinking about. They're definitely not thinking about the life cycle of the plant or the mine or the, you know, the whole journey they're just thinking about right now.
1: Right. Yeah. That's, that's crazy.
0: Well, and I think that highlights like you've got a reactive organization versus a proactive one. Um, what you described there to me is a reactive organization and they haven't had time to sit down and think about how they're doing things or they're not willing to. They've accepted, they've accepted that model and accepted that as that's what good is um, <laughs> and, and it, it's sad to see because you can get so much more out of your assets if you just think a little bit longer, you do that life cycle analysis, you you understand from the moment you get that asset to the moment you dispose of it, everything within there should be understood. Right. And to your point, Lucas, we should have training in there and costed in there for how to maintain that, that oh, asset yeah. properly.
1: Yeah, because, so, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. If, if you don't account for it up front, you're going to account for it when you try to correct things later by buying it with funds you didn't account for, right? Like, you know, all of a sudden you're shocked you have to spend $40,000 on training. Well, you, you wouldn't have been surprised by that if you had looked at the cost of, of doing this properly in the beginning, right? Um, and, and, and Rob, I did want to touch on something you said earlier that I think is super important especially with 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 training that's not quite as equipment focused or technically focused when you start talking about leadership and management and things and things of that nature um quality matters right quality management systems quality budgets like how many people actually say do we have a quality budget like not like a budget for the quality assurance measures within the organization but is our budget a quality budget or is it just the budget to get us by right like there's, there's deep work that can be done there. Um, if you don't spend the right amount of money, I'm gonna say the right amount of money, right? Because not all amounts are created um, you know, equal when it comes to training. If you don't spend the right amount of money to bring in someone or some organization that can help improve what you're doing, have you really developed a quality budget? Have you really developed a quality management system? I think that without that unbiased, Uh, outside perspective, it is harder for for organizations to have the continuous learning uh, goals met that they they may set for themselves subconsciously, right? We are going to be better. We're going to do these things. Um, But the actions don't match the the intent uh, when they fail to invest properly in developing better managers, better leaders. Uh, How do you do that? Well, you can't do that if you create everything in a silo. Right. If I if I think I'm the one who can make the best leaders in my organization, um, do I really know what my team could be learning outside of us? You know, there's a reason why a lot of a lot of teams intentionally seek independent third party assessments for quality assurance or for technical guidance or for things like that. But then we kind of shut the door on that idea when we consider training for leadership and management. And I think that's that's uh, that's that's to our own detriment.
2: Yeah. Yeah, So it's a wild statistic, right? So I looked this up. It's basically like, I think there's like a, almost a 10 year gap between when people become managers to when they get leadership training. And so like, if you think about like how many bad habits you can develop in 10 years and like how many people you can turn off of working in your organization, like it's bananas.
1: That's crazy. I mean, And the people look at things like the military and say, I wish we had that level of efficiency and I wish we had that level of strength in our, in our, in our senior core. But you know what they invest in? They invest in leadership at certain points. They do not let you pass go until you've gone to certain courses, right? And you do have the luxury of, of, you know, governmental, uh, you know, bureaucratic functions like a larger budget in some cases like that. Um, but guess what? Those are limited budgets. They're not unlimited. They just, they put the, they place the value on that. Uh, they make it a requirement. They don't just leave it to chance. Um, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that particular stat, Rob, because what do we hear in literally every major engineering management education program at universities and colleges? Is that there's a difference between being the best engineer and being an engineering manager, Right. You could be the best mechanical engineer or reliability engineer, uh, but be a terrible leader, right? And so how do you go from that? How do you end up with 10 years of gap between being the best engineer and the engineer who led things and did it the right way? Uh, that's just insane to me.
2: But I mean, you see it, right? You see it just like Steve and I see it, right? Is like yeah. where we go and where we work, the people who get promoted are the best at, X, Y, or Z, right? The best maintenance mechanic becomes the maintenance manager or like the best foreman becomes, right? And like the best engineer is the one who gets promoted up and it has nothing to do with, are they actually able to lead people? Can they connect with people? Do they have emotional intelligence? Can they create psychologically safe environments? Can they build trust? Like none of these things are evaluated, it's just like, well, does he know how to do the job that he did that's on the lower rung? And then now you're the higher rung.
0: <laughs> it's the Peter principle. You're, you're promoted to your level of incompetence, right? <laughs> you do a great job, so you get promoted. You do a great okay. job, you get promoted. And yeah, then you stop the getting promoted when you stop doing a great job.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right, Steve. And they do the same thing on the technical side. If you're this good a, an electrician or a mechanic, you, you we can push you further, right? But at some point, you're gonna push that person outside the bounds of their capability, right? So, you know, and I bring that up because for some reason uh, there's like a wall between the technical and non-technical in many brains in our community. And really that, that's, that's a false wall, right? It's the same thing, it's the same thinking that if you push someone beyond their leadership or management capabilities, you push someone beyond their technical capabilities, you're gonna end up with a less efficient and effective employee. And we do it every single time um now just investing in training isn't going to flip that switch overnight right you do have to have that cultural shift you do have to have a concerted management um, effort to make these things um you know a more a more ingrained and organic thing in the team Um, but you got to start somewhere and even if it's a one-time buy i mean I think that there's this, there's this, un, I don't know where it's, it's like an unfounded notion that if you invest once you have to invest forever, you know, that, that not all things are created equal in that regard either. You know, you may be able to bring someone in to do uh, team building, or you may be able to bring someone in to do asset management training, or you may be able to bring someone in to kind of uh, pump some life back into the RCM program on, on periodicity. And, and that's enough to keep the organization on the right path. You can measure productivity to determine how often that needs to happen. Um, I work for a really, really big company, and they do a really good job of having multiple management training opportunities throughout the year. You may only get that opportunity once, but they're investing in it for the organization several times because of the volume of people that it benefits and then overall what it does to the organization. But if you want to go back and, and, and go through that training again, you can put your name in the hopper and you can, you can get another seat. Uh, the opportunity exists. I think mean, that's really what this is all about, right? He's like, who's providing those opportunities? Why are we arguing about the opportunity?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I've got a question for you, Lucas. Um, so, let's say I'm a reliability engineer and I'm going to a company that is struggling. Um, their budgets are, are not quality budgets, so they've they've never hit their they've never hit their targets. Um, there is no extra money available um and you get there and staff is disengaged and it's just the organization is just in a bad place you get there and you see okay i think think a way to start improving people is training but we've got no money for it how do you suggest either we convince people to get training um on their own which seems like an unfair burden uh or Mm -hmm. What do we do to help start changing and shifting that culture and that mindset of those people to start going after training?
1: Well, I'm glad you brought up culture because first thing you need to do is fix the culture, right? And it it may not cost you a dollar upfront. You may just need to start saying and doing the right things, like getting them focused on the fundamentals of their work. There's so many resources out there that you don't have to pay for that teach you the fundamentals. We all have been in touch with them throughout our careers, but we get so far away from them when we get away from that start point, right? Like how hard is it to walk into the room with Mowbray and say, Hey guys, don't forget, you know, like how hard is it to put people in contact with, with, with resources like this podcast or lower, lower cost training opportunities uh, that, that aren't going to cost you an arm and a leg and can help you turn around the organization. You know, I'm, I'm talking some pretty, there's some pretty reasonable stuff out there. It's, I think you know you don't have to spend a fortune. Now, if you don't wanna spend a dollar, that's fine too. You need to start doing the research and building the, uh, the, the language that you wanna use within the organization, right? So I, I reported to a ship as a chief engineer and the ship had a great uh, reputation for, for being um, operational. They, they got out there, they did the work and they came back and the ship was in great shape. However, I wasn't satisfied with the level of technical competence that the crew was exhibiting, right? Like the, the, the mechanics were cutting corners. The electricians weren't turning in their their, um, their maintenance uh, records on time. You know, the, the damage control men were never practicing welding. Uh, welding's an art. If you don't practice welding, you get worse at welding. Like, you know... We, we started getting creative with the resources we had. Once we set our eyes on the goal of like, hey, we need to improve this deficiency, we found we had a lot of the resources within our own organization to turn things around. And it didn't require like this massive investment. But we did have to carve away one thing that, not, you know, we had to carve away the time. We had to spend time letting the experts that work there teach the younger staff. We had to carve away the time to do some specialized training with the crew. Right. For the people that we have there that are really good at this thing, let's get the word out. Let's get other people trained. We had to spend the time to develop an onboard training program that was sufficient to turn the culture around. And we didn't bring anyone in from the outside. So you have to start looking at, you know, it's not just about money. It's about time. It's about the talent you have on your team now. And I'll just say this. If you walk in and you look around and you can't trust the people in your organization to help you turn onto a new course and get things right you need to go talk to HR because you guys have been doing something wrong with hiring (laughs) and it's going to take a little bit of time to get that turned around. We had the luxury of rotating our crews, a third of our crew in the military every, every year. Um, I don't have that luxury where I work now. The luxury I get now is I have to look at the opportunities to bring the right staff in when I can. Um, And part of that is bringing consultants on retainer into the organization, right? So maybe you're not willing to invest in a training program, a really robust training program, but you're willing to invest in bringing an expert onto the team to help with the technical work. Well, that person can serve as someone that can help improve the knowledge of the team, right? So sometimes just the staffing, the way you approach manpower and and staffing can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really great advice. Um, You know, and I know for you know, looking at the technical trades and everything too, we get contractors. Um, mines generally have Caterpillar or Komatsu or whatever. And, you know, they they like to come in and maintain that equipment, but you get the Caterpillar contractors in. And it, it, so often I see the Caterpillar guy working with a Caterpillar guy. Like these two guys know how to do the job. Why don't we pair that guy up with one of our guys that doesn't know how to do the job, he's a competent mechanic. He just hasn't done that job before. Let's do some proper on the job training with somebody who's not going to cut corners because they're contractor. They're paid by the hour. <laughs> they want exactly. to take as long for the job as, as, as is there um, and, and get that training. So I, I really love that advice because I think that's a huge way because if a company is struggling we we are going to see those consultants coming in to try and help, and you can learn from them if a reliability contractor, if Rob shows up at your site as a reliability consultant, then like use it, learn from him, uh, understand, understand what he, he has to offer and pick his brain. Yeah, that's Absolutely. some of the best advice I think we've had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Rob that in is, particular. Yeah, right.
2: It's it's funny, right? And, and like Lucas mentioned, well, like one thing. And actually like the guy who couldn't get, he's probably listening to this. So a shout out, I I won't say your name, but shout out. Um, (laughs) But uh, the one, like he couldn't get the training courses approved. Right. And so what he did was he put together all the resources that are free in our industry, this podcast, all the Ascendo reliability articles, all like James Kovacevic's podcast, like like the upkeep articles, like there's a ton of great stuff out there that is free that you can get and that people can use. But the one thing he, when we talked about, I talked to him about it and what Lucas said is the same thing, right? I said, if you're telling your staff that they have to do this, like listen to this show and listen to James's show and listen to and read this and do that, You cannot expect them to do this on their own time, right? Because it's like, there are people who are listening to this in the car. There are people listening to this while they're running on the treadmill. Like, I get it. You love it. It's good for you. But you can't expect your staff to also love reliability or love maintenance like we do, right? And I think that's the piece is like, you know you got to give them the time you got to give them the effort and then the, the second thing i want to just mention jump off what lucas said was was this whole aspect of like the expertise that exists already in your organization like steve you know lucas you know like when you're a consultant you walk in the door most of the time they have the expertise they know what's wrong already they just don't have the psychologically safe environment where The guy on the shop floor can go to the manager and say, this is wrong. This isn't working. This is broken. This is how we should do it. And there's like that mindset about people believe that for some reason, that once you hire the talent and the talent is now not new and shiny anymore, that they lose value. And like, that's what I see all everywhere is like the expertise that is in-house in an organization is not valued at the same level as that expertise. If they just were wearing a different shirt.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it's, you know, and and we talk about, we talk about that all the time. Like for me, uh, being a good reliability engineer and getting to where I've been has been because I've listened to the people that are working on the equipment. It's, I, get, I started a, I started a new mine. I don't know anything about what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was tracking data uh, to, to really understand what's going on. So you go and you talk to the guys. They tell you what's breaking. They tell you how they think, how to fix it. And then you just need to, you just need to sell that up and around and take their idea. And I, I think most importantly is make sure they get credit for it. Because that way, they're going to come back to you with more ideas, more ways to fix things. It's going to improve their engagement. It's going to improve their, uh, just overall work, work satisfaction because they're going to feel heard.
2: Yeah. And that's like, that's the tip that Dylan gave like a month ago on this show, right? Is like go out and actually do the job with people.
0: Well, yeah.
2: Learn stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Dylan's we have the Dylan day challenge. I haven't heard back from anybody yet. So, so if you did that, if you are, an office staff and you went out and you spent a day or have thrown it into your regular schedule where you, you sit on the tools, you hand tools to the guys on the floor um, to get to know them and the equipment better. We, we want to hear about it. Cause I, I do think that is, that is the way to some big improvements.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's uh, I mean, it's such good advice and Dylan's great. You know, he, he, he gets it obviously. And he's he's pushing something out there that I think is really important because, um, in the academic circles, uh, if you meet someone who thinks they know everything, they're the most dangerous person you could be talking to. <laughs> because the people that are really smart on a topic understand that they don't know as much as they wish they did. They don't know everything. And, and the managers that are unwilling to go out and learn uh, from, their, from their staff, uh, that's, a, that's a dangerous person to be working for right? Because they, they think they know enough already. That, that's a dangerous manager when they aren't willing to concede that, hey, I used to be in your shoes, but that was a long time ago. And things have changed since then, right? You know, we might still be using a torque wrench to do that job, but that's not the same equipment. I got a little bit of a wake up when I stepped out and started doing it at Famica. Um, And I'll, I'll give a big shout out to one of my mentors, Hank Kosovar, who's been doing this forever. But I, I turned to Famika and to Hank. And Hank, I said, what do you think? And he, he, he goes, I think you need to go work on some more updated equipment. Half the stuff you put on this Famica, dude, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, it's been so long since I just went out and sat with mechanics and worked on equipment that I don't have a full grasp of what newer engines are like. And you would think something like an internal combustion engine wouldn't change much. But the control systems are entirely different now than they were you know so that i mean that's that's, that's
2: just because you're really old lucas that's all <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah i don't I, I wouldn't i wouldn't dare uh, say that to hank <laughs> <laughs> but it did make me stop for a minute and go wait i'm hearing this from hank hank's like that's papa hank man you know <laughs> Um, but it's true. I mean, if you're not out there getting in contact with them, then you're not, you're not gaining that knowledge from your staff that you should be as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about some pretty great resources that are out there and there is like, if, if you are motivated to go and get training for yourself, um, obviously if you're listening to this podcast, there's, there's a level of motivation that you have for maintenance and reliability. Um, but uh, Lucas, what are some of your favorite resources for for learning that maybe are a little less expensive or 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 freely available?
1: I'm gonna throw a word out there. It's called network, right? So one it's of called the Google. Things, yeah, I mean, honestly, the one of the things that's made made me smarter on things that I didn't have the knowledge about before was getting to know and learn from subject matter experts, right? So let's take, uh, let's take Bob Latino, for example, Bob and his family have been doing root cause analysis forever, right? Just hanging out with Bob, like over a beer, maybe more beer uh, in Winnipeg. (laughs) you learn so much just from, from interacting with other professionals, right? So I would, I would say that you, you, you need to establish a network of people that you can both get along with and you can learn from because there's so many people out there with expertise and they're the ones pushing out that content, right? They're publishing articles, they're, they're pointing you in the direction of, of papers and resources that you would have never found on your own if you didn't have that strong network. So I would say go out and, and establish a strong network. So you know LinkedIn's obviously great for that. Um, and then, you know, it might, might sound a little crazy, but if you do a little research um, on, on the, the, the field, uh, some of the academic research in the field uh, that you're interested in, you can find a lot of open source publication and it's not all crazy stuff, right? Um, there's, some, there's some danger there, you know? Uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you're a nerd like me and you looked up level of repair analysis and all you found was a bunch of ops research stuff, you didn't get your itch scratched right um but you did learn a little bit more about math than you maybe wanted to in the beginning um but if you go out there and you do some research on topics like re- uh, reliability center maintenance there's a lot of publication open publication about rcm out there right look no one heap you have to, do you have to go spend money on that no you know um there's tons of websites there's tons of people out there pushing out content you just need to establish a good network so you can figure out where where that content is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask Rob the same question, but uh, do you have anything to add to Lucas? He covered I think most things there. <laughs>
2: All right, Rob. Start your own podcast and talk to the experts. That's what I
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> it's working no, for me I, as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like honestly, yeah, like I I mean, lear- talking to people like you and and Lucas like it really changed how I how I see reliability and then even like what I did where I hired a coach basically to teach me a lot of this stuff really changed my perspective as well and like that's where I'm going with some of this stuff is like like I guess if this is coming out Tuesday like you'll have a few days if you want to join the mastermind that I'm putting together to get you some of these connections in industry have these next level discussions on you know, any maintenance, reliability, leadership problems, asset management problems that you're having, like we have some pretty high level people in the group. So, and then if I don't know the answer, I know the person who who has the answer. So I can make those introductions. And so that's where I'm going. So if you're interested in that, robsreliability.com slash mastermind, fill out the application form. It's 300 bucks, but you're getting four group sessions and then you're getting a one-on-one with me. I couldn't make it any cheaper. To be honest, I was thinking about how could I do it for less? And I was like, I don't want to sell myself that short. So
1: you to yeah.
2: So, so I'm doing that. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, I'm going to, that like the first group, we're going to be closing pretty soon, but I'll probably be rolling another one or two if it goes well later this year. So definitely like check out those. Cause I think like, honestly, like, there's going to be huge value coming from that group and like 300 bucks is not much. So get it, get it now. Cause next yeah. time it will be more.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. When, when people catch on to how much value there really is. There. Yeah. So Steve, if, if I may um, what Rob says and what Rob does reminds me of, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, Blue Fishing from Steve Sims, but in the book, he makes a really good point about people buy experiences. Right. Training should be an experience. Working with someone like Rob is an experience. That that experience means something to me financially that other things don't. Like I can go buy a book and get smart on a topic for you know anywhere from ten to two hundred dollars, depending on what kind of text it is, and that's a great resource. But I don't get the experience that I get working with a group like Rob has put together, right? So when you start thinking about you're going to spend money and what you're going to do like that With, with with someone like rob from a training perspective you're buying an experience right you're experiencing that group dynamic that you cannot get when you read a book if you're in an organization that's trying to access uh really high level technical information for training invest in a in in man go start a technical book club right like there's so much you can do you gotta think outside the box a little bit but you know, with, with, with something like Rob's uh, talking about, you're, you're buying an experience, you're not just buying information.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, uh, we've been talking for a while now, there's been a lot of really great advice in here. And, but before we wrap up, I just want to give you guys an opportunity. Uh, Rob, do you have any, any additional plugs? Uh, we've
2: got, <laughs> I can plug all day, there. Steve, absolutely. <laughs> So, yeah, so first off, you know, if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, just Rob Kalvaroski on LinkedIn, I'm sure Steve will put my um, contact info in the podcast notes. So definitely follow me on LinkedIn. Um, If you're interested in the mental health podcast, go to Dismantling the High Performance or search wherever you find this one, it's on it too. So Dismantling the High Performance Narrative, subscribe to that podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We also have a website, highperformance narrative.com, if you want to connect with Lauren or myself or look at, check out some of the stuff that Lauren has going on. For all my stuff, Rob'sreliability.com. I have some stuff about the mastermind, I have some stuff about the leadership program that I'm doing. And then that's that's about it for me, for now. <laughs> but if you want, if you want to get me and you want to contact me, LinkedIn's the best, or you can email me, Rob'sreliabilityproject at gmail.com. I still have that email. So so definitely reach out there.
0: <laughs> That's great. And, and Lucas, I know you've got a lot going on and in particular around this space. And um, so, so what do you have? Uh, how can people get in contact with you and, and what are you offering?
1: Yeah, so the easiest way to reach me is as, as same as Rob on, on LinkedIn. I try to stay fairly active on LinkedIn. Um, and then um, you can reach me via email at lucas at eastpartnership.org. Um, East Partnership is uh, a training uh, resource for, for those interested in anything related to maintaining and sustaining assets. And uh, we basically try to cover the whole portfolio. We've got everything from liability center maintenance training, asset management with Suzanne Greenman. Um, we, we, uh, we work with Bob Latino and his, and his staff at uh, Reliability Center, um, Sonia Mathura. I mean, we, we try to cover it all, everything from maintenance task analysis to, you know, whatever. Whatever you want. And um, and we work with organizations and individuals. So if you're an organization that's looking to just learn more about how you can get your uh, your staff affordable training, give me a shout and we'll talk. A cup of coffee is always free. So um, (laughs) easy easy to find on LinkedIn. And of course, uh, please, please support the entrepreneurs out there and the people that are producing that free content we're all talking about like Rob and Steve and, and all these fantastic people that like the maintenance community that, that are doing so much for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great, Lucas. Thanks. And I will be sure to put all those links in the description so people can, uh, you just go there uh, when you, you're not driving your car. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for your time. Uh, I think this was a fantastic episode and really excited. I, I know this is a topic we'll be discussing more often as well. So thanks guys.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks.